Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. Today, we are ranking the Walt Disney animated films that released between the years 2000 and 2009, often referred to as the Disney post-Renaissance. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. We are six minutes early. This is better than our hour late of last week. And the week before that. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we're back on schedule. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Duel of the Takes. Today, we are doing a follow-up to a video we did a while ago with friend of the show, Matt King, covering the Disney Renaissance. Uh, We definitely had some controversial opinions in that episode, and we're excited to do that again. Now with the post-Renaissance. The era that we grew up with more so than uh, the Disney Renaissance. Uh, these are the movies that came out between 2000 and 2009. A.K.A. when Josh watched animated movies. Also A.K.A. the second Dark Age of Disney, in my humble opinion. Uh, That's a little mean. Technically, yes, but I don't want to be mean. I mean, this this era single-handedly killed their 2D animated movies. Uh, Josh's number two animated movie of all time is in the next era. <laughs> and it's the last one. <laughs> Yeah, I think because of the rise of Pixar, it just didn't become as uh, popular. A quick rundown that's everything from Fantasia 2000 up until Bolt. Yeah, no Pixar on here, just cold cut Disney. This is is rough. Um, The way that this is going to work, we all have one veto. Oops, only Disney. One veto up until the top three. Yeah. Yeah, people's feelings are going to get hurt. I have the jurisdiction on ties. And Jory does have jurisdiction on ties. Thank you for reminding me. Very cool. Hmm. Let's just go in order of the Discord call here. Alden, what do you have at number 11? Well, of course, I have Bolt at number 11. Based. Based. (laughs) (laughs) I have one movie below it, but Bolt's also bad. Nay, don't. I'm not going to veto in the first round here. For the sake of conversation, what is your uh, number 11? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, my number 11 is Home on the Range. The least I can say about Bolt is it has like a little bit of heart to it. Like it's still very much like kind of like corporate Disney, I think at its height. And like it's making a movie about movies and like this stunt dog but the the relationship between the girl and the dog is cute enough where like i would turn that back on as for home on the range oh my god like does anyone really want a movie with roseanne barr judy dench and jennifer tilly voicing cows like i'm sorry that joke writes itself i'd rather watch barnyard yeah right no exactly why would you ever turn on home on the range when barnyard exists thank you that's pretty valid nate but uh this is the only time during the list that I'm going to get to say it, starring John Travolta. <laughs> Honestly, this isn't the worst John Travolta movie made in the 2000s. No, it's not. This kind of felt like the beginning of the end where, like, I feel like we'll see what movies later. Randy Savage is in this movie? Wait. <laughs> what? He, yeah, he plays a thug in Bolt. I just remembered that there's a fake Josh Gad, like proto Josh Gad, who voices like the hamster that's in the ball. Oh my god. Yeah, this kind of felt like the beginning of the end where like, we'll see movies later on like Emperor's New Groove where they kind of, that part of Disney, they made the characters and then they casted the people. Both felt like what kind of modern, sometimes modern Disney movies do where they think of the cast before they think of the characters. Like, I mean, this is 2008 Miley Cyrus at the height of Anna Montana and all that. I I have something to say about Miley Cyrus being cast here. They had Chloe Grace Moretz 
voice the entire character. The entire thing was voiced over and done, and then they cast Miley Cyrus. Like, they finished this movie, and then they decided to cast Miley Cyrus. You can still hear Chloe Grace Moretz's voice in trailers. Yeah. And she does play young Penny at the beginning of the film, before the time jump. Miley was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing a high voice. It just feels very corporate. I don't hate Miley Cyrus. Especially very recent Miley Cyrus's work has been very good. Yeah, but I hate her in voice acting, specifically because of this movie. In this situation, it just feels very corporate to me, and that's why it was my number 11. It doesn't feel genuine at all, like these other movies some of these other movies yeah some (laughs) (laughs) i've said it before but like this is the first time that i was actively disappointed by a movie as a kid like even home on the didn't love and my placement on the list is going to reflect that but like even as a kid i was like that was like fine okay i'm not mad that i saw it but bolt in the theater like seeing the trailer for cars 2 followed by bolt i was just like you know what maybe i don't like anymore i think the biggest problem with a lot of these movies is like they don't have like that walt disney feel to them in any capacity and maybe it's because they were first branching out into cgi animation but i think it goes a little deeper than that i think it's also in the storytelling and the writing and also a lot of the decisions like josh was saying with the casting it seems like there was a lack of focus on telling a story and more of a focus on selling toys yeah this feels more like a dreamworks type thing where it really does yeah and it's also like the cultural impact of this movie is completely non-existent a lot of the ones in this era kind of are but like this one especially it's like Come on, you've got a cute dog and I can't even find a pin of you at Disney World or Disney Springs. Like, what's what's wrong here? What happened? What happened to Bolt? It's like this movie came out, made a little bit of money. And then they were like, yeah, we're never talking about Bolt ever again. The the, the hamster gets a DVD extra, but no, no sequel, nothing. I can't wait for uh, James Gunn to make this movie completely irrelevant when he finally makes that crypto movie. Is this the last thing Randy Savage did before he died? What year did he die? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I got to go star in this movie. Movie with John Travolta. I'm checking his IMDb. It was his last movie. Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right, Bolt number 11. You guys won me over. This is the movie that killed Randy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jory, what is your number 10? And why is it Home on the Range? This one might be a little bit controversial because it's not Home on the Range. Uh, my number 10 is Dinosaur. Oh, I'm going to veto that. Home on the Range goes here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think either of these are particularly uh, good movies, but where Home on the Range at least gets an edge over this movie for me is I think that it's at least visually interesting. Like what I do remember of this movie, I remember a lot of interesting color. I remember interesting character designs, but like who those characters were, what was happening, I couldn't tell you. But Dinosaur, on the other hand, has always, like since I first saw it, just felt so uncanny to me. It feels like they were going for something where it's like, all right, let's try like photorealistic CG, but the technology just is not there for it. I have Dinosaur literally one spot above of Home on the Range, just because I think Home on the Range, you could tell me wasn't a Disney movie and I'd probably believe you. And when it comes to Dinosaur, um, I don't, like you said, Jory, I do agree a lot of the stuff didn't work, but I, I give them credit for trying. I think it was very bold of how they tried the mix live action into the cgi animated like it was it was it live action there were some scenes that were it yeah some of the environments were were live action in camera if this movie i think had a better maybe a better director a better team around it i 
and maybe it was made a couple of years later, I think it could have been very good. I I guess I guess I'm just leaning towards my I like the more that Disney actually kind of went experimental with this. We talked about before that this was kind of Disney's uh dark dark age to a lot of people. And I think it's because they did try some things and there were some failures, but um in those failures, we I think we got better movies down down the line, and I respect Dinosaur for that. The only thing that I was going to say in conflict with that is I would agree if I could track a clear visualization between Dinosaur and anything else that Disney has put out. Like you mentioned that Home on the Range doesn't feel like a Disney movie. I feel like Dinosaur is the odd man out in their entire filmography. Because like even with Home on the Range, it's like, all right, this is like a lesser... Uh, 2d animated movie it certainly still feels like this mid-2000s era but it feels like it's one of the biggest contributors to the name the second dark age because this really does feel like a dark age disney movie if they ever revisited these ideas instead of just being like all right here's a proof of concept for something that we can't do yet people will run away with this in like a decade but not from our studio i'd be way more hyped for a dinosaur remake than a home on the range remake i don't think either of these will get a remake and i don't think either of them should get a remake but as a kid i would definitely have preferred to go see dinosaur in theaters than i would have home on the range and i feel like that works for most small kids they'd be more interested in dinosaurs no matter how bad the cgi may be i guess not a remake of dinosaur but i wouldn't mind if disney tried this again i guess dinosaur might have a little more cultural relevancy it, it does have that ride at uh, Animal Kingdom that everybody likes. I, I forget Home on the Range. Dinosaur, I guess, has a little bit of that, or then Home on the Range. Like, it's literally saying this a slept on gem or anything. For the, the composites in the background and stuff is very traceable to uh, Dinosaur from like Lion King and even Aladdin to a lesser extent. Um, Jungle Book. I kind of feel grossed out about like um, Dinosaur, is again, and just like the visuals and the character design. But in terms of like the story too, like that opening scene is actually like really good. Yeah. There's like this like uh, meteor uh, shower and there's like, you know, the asteroids are coming for these dinosaurs and there's like a, it's the first 20 minutes or so are like a disaster movie. And it's kind of like unique to see that in the presentation of like a kid's Disney movie with these dinosaur characters. I also don't know why this movie even really exists because like Land Before Time had like six movies out at this point And like, I don't know. I just feel like there's not a good enough story here to warrant coming back to this movie and the cgi is so dated that like this is automatically like stamped with like the year 2000 on it for the rest of eternity home on the range probably like the animation and the art style holds up a little better but i think that the story the narrative and the characters are even worse um i, I hated home on the range as a three-year-old I can't imagine liking it more as a 20 year old or like it, it's really not anything special. And the voice cast is um, surprisingly talented, but completely incompetent with this material. There's it's, it's a 2D animated Disney movie and there's only one musical sequence and it's with the villain and he's tripping on acid. This movie is bad. I honestly I would rather like elevate Dinosaur just because like it tried something new and this was after a wide range of commercial success for Disney. They decided to do something this ambitious and it completely flopped and it's bad. But that's better than like defaulting to like the most generic 2D animated script ever and then half-assing everything else about it. Home on the Range is bad, bad. It's the worst movie in this entire batch. That's very fair. Holden, 
What do you think? Yeah, I think dinosaurs should be above Home on the Range. Okay. Good veto, Josh. I think that's the first veto you've used in season two that actually worked out. Yeah, my vetoes usually don't go well. And now here's my turn for number nine, and this is where Dinosaur goes. Yes. Wait, why do we all have the same bottom three? Yeah, we, whoa. Because they all kind of suck. Like, we've had some discussion on our Discord that maybe Chicken Little should be here, but I really have to hard disagree. Huh? Whoa, did we? <laughs> Nate and I were discussing with our good friend Nicholas Carmichael. Yeah, me and Nicholas Rorman like an hour ago. Wait, I gotta read this. Does Nick think Chicken Little's a bottom three? He said it's the second worst Disney movie he's ever seen. What a shit take. Whoa, Nick. Yeah, I thought Nick would really like Chicken Little. <laughs> I was really surprised. We thought Josh Gad was a bad take. Has Nick not seen the opening sequence to Chicken Little? One little slip. There's a really good deleted scene in uh, Chicken Little where, like, the press is hounding his dad. And, um, like, they ask him, like, oh, like, have you heard the rumors about Russell Crowe playing you in a new movie? And he's, like, pissed, but he turns around. He's like, Russell Crowe, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Josh, you place Dinosaur. That means it's my turn at number eight. And I think, I don't know how the panel feels on this. This might be the first hot take of the list. I'm putting Fantasia 2000 here. Whoa, I agree. Okay. I was surprised. I thought Josh was going to be the biggest stand for this one. Uh, my take here for Fantasia 2000 at number eight is simply that this is the definition of we have Fantasia at home. <laughs> <laughs> and for me growing up, it was the Fantasia at home. I actually never saw the original Fantasia until I was well into my teenage years but I had a VHS copy of Fantasia 2000 and thought it was awesome. And then I, uh, you know, watched the original, which came out like 60 something years before and is just absolutely better in every way. I think where like Fantasia 2000 kind of falls apart is it's like more safe in its animated sequences, if that makes any sense. Uh, and it like doesn't really have that same like typical Disney charm. It's more antiquated and it's more like what you'd associate with the music. Whereas the original Fantasia is so awesome because it's pretty simple classical songs that are ha that have like these elaborate stories. And I think there's only one or two sequences in Fantasia 2000 that are actually like really good. I don't like the live action introductions. <laughs> oh, true. Like it's supposed to be Fantasia 2000, right? We're in like the next era of Disney and those like live action introductions feels like something in like 1985. Yeah, as a big f original Fantasia stan, this this movie's like such a mixed bag to me. There's some sequences that are beautiful, and then you have like Donald Duck on Noah's Ark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is way worse than VeggieTales. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have that Old Testament goodness with like Jonah and the lion's den, or Daniel and the lion's den. I apologize for blaspheming. Daniel and the whale. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel in the belly of the whale with Pinocchio. Damn, Daniel in the lion's den. Damn, Daniel back at it again in the lion's den. <laughs> well, uh, it's back to you, Alden, with number seven. So far, so good. There hasn't been any cutthroat arguments decide besides Home on the Range and Dinosaur. Are we going to civilly like, agree throughout this entire list? Well, let's find out when I uh, when I place Atlantis here. Uh, I agree. I agree. Yo, Nate, did we just agree again? Yeah, all three of us. I have Atlantis, the Lost Empire at number seven. <laughs> so do I. Is this a Jory Runner 2049 veto? I mean, I kind of want a veto, but at the same time, it's like, it's three to one. I mean, I like this movie a lot. There's some other movies you could nominate here. That's true. All right, fine. I'm going to veto, and I'm going to say I think Chicken Little should be here. Mm-mm. 
Okay, that was the wrong choice. This is a ja- this is literally Jackie Brown right now, Jory. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I also really like. You could have said any other movie. I also really like Chicken Little, uh, but I really like all of these movies. To be fair, um, for me, Atlantis is just the only movie that I can say is like similar to atlantis in this list is another movie that is also in my like top four so like i guess the meanest thing that i can say about this movie is it's really similar to treasure planet yeah yeah like i feel like that's the meanest thing that i can say about it like speaks a lot like chicken little for me i really like what it's going for between uh chicken little and his dad how he's like a loser and he's trying to find his place and nobody believes him about anything and i know this is going to be controversial with this panel but i really don't like the first half as much as the second half the first half where he's like trying to for the baseball team and stuff like i still think it's good and you still have uh like we talked about in the eddie murphy list uh, stirred up by patty labelle playing which elevates it a lot yeah this soundtrack is very good yeah yeah but like for me it's just for me it's just good like it's just a mid-tier for me like i don't think that it has the strong character writing that atlantis has or the world building that atlantis has like obviously it's not going for that the second half of this movie is like a parody of a sci-fi thing i just don't know if atlantis has all that you're talking about though um as the uh the resident uh milo uh stan i mean my avatar is based around milo my entire first season of the show was just a picture of milo i think that uh like the ensemble cast are all pretty good i think that atlantis is a, a strong um kind of introduction to this world i do agree that the world buildings there and like the foundations of character arcs are there but this wholeheartedly everything from like the animation quality feels like a backdoor pilot for a tv show and i think in, in fact it was it just it doesn't feel like a theatrical released film and that might just be due to the fact that i've only seen it at home i've never seen it in theaters and i, I honestly don't think i'd want to as cool as it is it does feel like another one of those like dice roll risks from Disney in terms of what they were trying to accomplish here. And I think it is a good movie. I just don't think it's extremely memorable or it's going to like age better than some of these other movies that might have funny scenes. Like it's no masterpiece. I think Atlantis is kind of like a mid-tier Disney movie. I think like when I think of Atlantis, I uh I don't know. I just think it has those themes of like adventure and like that like indiana jones type uh thing you got with milo and then it's got tracking mythology to like find atlantis itself and then yeah like it's got a ton of elements that i really enjoy but it doesn't use them well yeah the elements are interesting but then you actually watch the movie and it's like i don't know guys i think the entire like first half like to first two-thirds of this movie is extremely solid like the entire adventure on the way to atlantis and then them consuming the culture when they get there is fantastic and i really love the ending where like everybody does a heel turn and it's like hey we we're like government consigned explorers of course we're going to exploit this place and like then the power like the mystical power of atlantis like turns against them and like turns the main guy into that crystal monster thing the shit's terrifying i'm just really looking forward to avatar 2 being the remake of atlantis that we've all been waiting for i was about to say this sounds like a movie that came out in 2009 that by james cameron that nate talks a lot about it's way better than than avatar uh, uh, it's, mm. it's really not it really getting josh 
I know that you didn't rewatch any of these, but please, this movie holds up way better. My problems with this movie have nothing to do with its pacing. I think a 95 minute runtime is like perfect for what the story is trying to do. But I don't think there's like this rich layer of complexity to it. And like this, the, like the third act heel turn stuff, like all of that's like you kind of know it's it's coming because the motivations of these characters aren't the same as our hero. And um, I think that the follow-up is actually surprisingly decent. I, I think uh, Atlantis Milo's Return isn't a bad sequel or a bad continuation of the story. But again, it just doesn't feel like this is on the same caliber as the movies that they were releasing the decade previous to this, or even some of the movies that came out after it. I had this movie on DVD, and I had it in like a DVD case, and like it was surrounded by like Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, Star Wars, all these like movies. And while Atlantis sits there like collecting dust, that. Probably- probably hasn't been open since like 2007 and like i just it never gravitated towards me maybe it is like this undercover gem but i just don't see it i i think it's very like you were comparing it to treasure planet earlier i think everything you're saying is what i would want to say towards treasure planet okay yeah chicken little is a childhood favorite of mine i'm not putting that down low love the baseball scene in chicken little (laughs) all right well it sounds like atlantis the lost empire at number seven uh jory it's your turn to play something here at number six are we swinging for the fences with chicken little again i'll go with what my number six is it's brother bear i agree um i i want to veto i just finished watching this movie uh, as we speak actually and um yeah i still am in the same feelings that i was before i where it's like okay i remember the beginning and i remember the end which is basically just like the premise of the movie but i don't think that there's a lot in the adventure itself that's gonna keep me coming back or has me remembering a lot more than just like okay like he makes friends with the little bear and then he like learns what it's like how the other half lives and then he like comes back and decides not to transform into a human or he dies and gets saved or whatever like it's okay brother bears i mean one spot higher it's (laughs) it's right it's right there um yeah i don't know i don't have a veto anymore so i don't know what i'm why i'm talking I I wanna I want to veto this, but I uh, I'm going to I think tell everybody I'm on my way. Yeah, I was also talking to Nate about this. I was like, why? Like I'm listening to the music right now, and I feel like if this music was any better, I feel like I could elevate this movie because I do like it. But the music is just also so forgettable. I just feel like Brother Bear is one of those movies that like it has some good ideas and it has some heart to it but at the end of the day it's not like um extremely memorable there's not a lot of like big set pieces or anything i think what sticks with people the most is the beginning of this movie where it's like um this like impulsive like uh like kid from the tribe gets uh transformed into a bear and then kind of has to deal with the consequences and understanding the world from there but then after that like the second act i has faded from my memory and i watched it two days ago uh, um, and then it, it gets to a heartwarming conclusion and things, but this just feels like paint by numbers Disney. It doesn't take any big steps. And even Phil Collins, who I think heavily elevates Tarzan as a movie by making it a jukebox musical with some of his uh, best original recorded songs post Genesis. I mean, he really doesn't add much to this movie at all. There's a couple of good songs. I mean, I understand why people stick with the soundtrack. It's got a more folky feel. But besides Rick Moranis voicing one of the mooses, there's not much in this movie. <laughs> Mooses, meese, moosen, moosen. No, it's just moose. Miska, muska, mouse. I enjoyed this movie. It's my top five. Um, 
Yeah, I'm glad I got it this far. Uh, I don't know. I just have good memories with this. Alden, what are you putting here? I'm not going to veto. I don't think there's an argument that I can make here for it. Yeah, I think it's fine here. I, I agree with you on almost like everything. I just have like a, I guess there's a bond I have with it. It was an early childhood movie that I watched a whole bunch, uh, as are a lot of these other ones. But this one was one I watched with my dad almost every time I watched it. So I have it only one spot higher. I'll leave it. I do like the the little kid bear Coda is voiced by uh, Bernie Mac's nephew from the Bernie Mac show. And he's pretty good. No cap. Yeah. I like the cast. Yeah. Brother Bear, number six. Um, That was Jory's placement. Josh, what are you putting at number five? I'm putting Treasure Planet here. Do we have the same list? (laughs) (laughs) Damn. We are agreeing way too much in this episode. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yo. I personally have Treasure Planet here at number five as well. I do think it's probably one of the most ambitious movies on this list. And I think the blend of 2D animation and 3D animation is something I'd like to see from Disney again. I don't think it's particularly well executed in this film. Um, But again, it's 2002 and technology's come a long way since that. I, I think that there's a lot of good to this movie. And I think that the first act and the introduction to both this character and the world of this um, steampunk planet travel boat thing, it's really unique and it's really cool. And retelling Treasure Island with this like sci-fi aesthetic is really dope in terms of like what to come back to in this movie. I don't like get much out of rewatching this film. I think it works best as like a a childhood favorite. Uh, And it was for me for quite a while. I do really like this movie. I just think that I would rather go back to the other four. I really like this movie, but I will also admit the trailer for this movie is better than the actual movie. Like, the trailer is like some top Kino. Y'all are mean. Yeah, I think the voice cast is pretty solid, too. Uh, I do I do wish Disney would try the 2D and CGI mix more. Um, I feel like the only time I ever see that is like on an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, you can see uh, I'm trying that a little bit more in all of these movies. Like, even in Brother Bear, uh, in the opening sequence where they have a bunch of caribou charging at them, all those caribou are rendered in 3D just off the top of my head. And then the uh, the spaceships and Lilo and Stitch are done that way. But I think Treasure Planet, uh, along with Atlantis, does it quite frequently. But I think Treasure Planet does it the most successfully. I think the only part that they overstep it is when they try to introduce a full 3D character alongside the 2D characters. And then it becomes uncanny. But when they're just doing it for like environments and uh, ships and stuff, like the shot where they're looking from... Uh, their uh their like cafe or little restaurant or whatever to the crescent spaceport and it just like goes for that zoom and then like you see that it's actually like a spaceport is amazing and i think that it holds up really well to every rewatch that i've had uh i think that this movie is visually impressive i personally like all the characters in the story a lot this was one of my frequent rock watches as a kid i really like how they introduce like the world and the visuals uh, that the story has to offer. I feel like between this and Atlantis, which I guess are getting compared because of how close in uh, release dates is like interesting. Um, But I think that Treasure Planet honestly would have been a better series or something. Like I feel like by the time they get to like the climax of this movie, I'm kind of asking for more, which I mean, I was expecting more from Atlantis, but I was asking for more from Treasure Planet. And I think that's really what separates these two and why I think Treasure Planet is the better of the two. Um, But it costing as much as it did 
uh, and also not making the money that it needed to. I understand why that never happened. And it does make me sad because I think this is an underrated gem in the greater Disney filmography. It just doesn't hold the same place in my heart as these others. Yeah. Oh, they lost $30 million. Yeah, it was one of their biggest uh, failures. 30 million reasons to love this film. Fuck Disney. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it lost as much as Dinosaur, though. I think Dinosaur was something like $85 million or something. Honestly, though, it deserved to. How much money did Home on the Right? It's all right. Disney made a better Pirates movie a couple of years later. Uh, Jory found out about an hour ago that Johnny Depp got an Academy Award nomination for Captain Jack Sparrow. What were your thoughts there, Jory? Um, cool. I feel like I don't have many thoughts beyond that. I wish the Oscars were still based like that, where they would just let a fun character get a nom. What are you talking about? John Joaquin Phoenix just won Best Actor for playing the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Home on the Range made $145.5 million at the box office. Million $35 million. That's a dinosaur over Home on the Range. We live in a cow world. The tagline for this movie is Bust a Moo. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly, Dinosaur made more money than Home on the Range. Based? <laughs> yeah, the budget was 127 and it made 350 Wait a second, Steve Buscemi isn't Home on the Range? Yeah, he voices the little rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Home on the Range uh, remake is Tarantino's final movie. It's more of a Robert Rodriguez movie, really. Really is. I wish they would make something better than the fake Sharkboy and Lava Girl sequels. All right, so it sounds like we got Treasure Planet at number five. So that means it's my turn to place number four. Alden and I both have vetoes left. At number four is where I have Chicken Little. Whoa. It got this far based off of like being a childhood favorite of mine. I agree that the soundtrack is awesome. Chicken Little is my number four. Jesus Christ. I think that Chicken Little um, works in a lot of ways. I think it works extremely well as a as an animated family friendly comedy. I, I think that the the latter half is better executed. I agree with you there, Jory. But um, where this movie kind of falls apart is in its characters uh, and the world. Everyone is so mean spirited in this film, and I think that's why uh, a lot of people hate this movie because it doesn't. It's like the anti, it's like the antithesis to a lot of what Disney um, does right. Typically, because of that, this feels more like a dreamworks comedy or something but i fucking love it i think that chicken little would be like number three on the top 10 dreamworks list that we made no yeah it would be way high on that it would, it would be still be top five on that list. list honestly this to me feels like disney's response to shrek <laughs> interesting i watched this movie a lot as a kid and um the reason why it didn't make my top three either is just because yeah i just don't think it's just quite strong enough as these other three movies that are actually making my top three for once on the panel's top three <laughs> there's just something fun about the movie that's very rewatchable for me as a kid and even now like even though i didn't get to rewatch these movies in preparation for this video would i think still go back and rewatch chicken little and enjoy it as much as i did when i was like eight years old and i think shrek's a good comparison to that because i think i would say the same thing about shrek one and shrek two i don't know josh i feel like it's really easy to track why you like this movie though because it's got everything you like it's got a father-son arc it's got a baseball story and you've also got the sci-fi action adventure i don't know the baseball and father-son is more nate energy actually i really like the um steve zahn character runt uh he's fucking the best part of this movie best character in the movie he really cares about his barbara streisand records and i respect that a lot I <laughs> 
going back to it i think that the voice cast of this film is actually like really talented i like that they got katherine o'hara and fred willard who do a lot of those like improv comedies like best in show uh to voice like the aliens at the end of the movie i think that like that bit is one of the funniest things where they have like the voice changer and they're just bickering between each other and it feels very like unscripted i i yeah there's a lot of charm to this movie and there's a reason i had it on loop as a kid but it's not like a masterpiece and it does have a lot of faults and i don't think it has the best messaging for kids either i think that buck cluck is a giant asshole um gary marshall is voices buck cluck very well but that character is a complete dickhead terrible father figure when the alien like when the little like alien guy like interacts with chicken little and like they find him that could have been an easy like jumping the shark moment, but I think it keeps the movie going and keeps your interest going. Mm-hmm. I like that his name's Kirby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this the best Zach Braff movie? Uh, what were we talking about last week? Uh, like that movie that he directed. I like that movie. I don't know if it's got the same mass appeal or just like raw and they're very different movies. Is Oz Great and the Powerful the best Zach Braff movie? <laughs> 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 listen at least he has scrubs yeah that's true he does have chicken little wait a second chicken little was in kingdom hearts too <laughs> <laughs> you can there's special summons essentially and they're like famous characters that will come and help you in battle so it's like in the first game like genie was one of them but chicken little was one and he had like it was before kingdom hearts 2 came out before chicken little came out so like i think they didn't really know what chicken little would be able to do to, to do to help so he like he has like his orange soda jetpack and he just kind of flies over you and throws dodgeballs i love that they really went hard on the marketing i think in disneyland at like california adventure they had this giant blow up chicken little just like in the middle of the park incredible Chicken big <laughs> <laughs> i also like how it takes like a like a narrative or like a like a folk kind of tale in like the chicken little the sky is falling boy you cried wolf motif and then actually like runs with that premise too also that indiana jones clip that they use as the water tower crashes through the theater is very funny it was my first exposure to raider and that's why atlantis was highest on your list atlantis isn't highest on my list oh compared to everybody else i suppose Compared to the panel, yeah. About Chicken Little than the two-second Raiders clip, though. The one thing that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way about Chicken Little was around the same time KFC introduced their um, their Chicken Little sandwich, which was just like a mini chicken sandwich. And I didn't like that it was named after the titular character of this film, and it really scared me the first time I ordered it as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with KFC. It scared you, but you still ordered it. Fish out of water. I like the end credits where... Uh the the pig is singing don't go break in my heart with the asshole fox who's been brainwashed i have foxy loxy (laughs) can we talk about the moral ramifications of the pig telling them not to put her back (laughs) (laughs) she's perfect um i i like the scene where they kind of like go about spoofing themselves and like they recreate this story of what happened into a movie and they're all watching it like that's funny they've got like the hollywood version Bring me some water, some chips if you have them. And then in the in the movie, like Pig's like a badass. He's like, I got this. Cover me. <laughs> yeah, Chicken Little's really good. <laughs> God, the character design in this movie makes me want to shoot myself. <laughs> some of the characters are so well designed. And then you have Foxy Loxy. <laughs> 
Buck cluck even? Come buck on. Cluck. More like block cuck. More like fuck cuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess we aren't using any vetoes, Alden. Uh, we're in the top three now. All right, we're back to you, Alden. Uh, the three movies we have left in no particular order are Lilo and Stitch, The Emperor's New Groove, and Meet the Robinsons. All right. I think the lesser of these three is Emperor's New Groove, but it's a close, close margin. I agree. God, fuck me. I agree. Just fuck me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Jory was the tiebreaker this episode, too. I think that Emperor's New Groove has a lot going for it, specifically like the I love it. Yeah, I love the villains. Like they get that right a hundred percent. It's the best cast. Yeah. I just don't think Journey with the main character is really like strong enough where like I believe him becoming a better person by the end of the story. He's still like a douchebag. And I don't understand why they like do like the whole like stereotypical like liar reveal thing and like why the relationship between him and John Goodman's character, I don't even know the character's name, but Pacho maybe mm -hmm. both. They're both in desperate scenarios, but why they like bond over it is not extremely well executed in my opinion, because Cusco acts like a dickhead the entire time. He never gets better until the very end. And it's like, okay. Yeah. I think part of that is a, uh, a side effect of, as the story was originally written, um, Cusco still ends up making Cusco-topia on top of Pacha's Mountain. But of all people, Sting was the one that pointed out, like, hey, shouldn't he, uh, shouldn't he not do that by the end of the movie? And then they were like, oh, shit, you're right. And kind of, like, wrote the ending. We're like, all right, well, he makes it on another mountain. The story of this movie is kind of just, like, them becoming friends rather than him becoming, like, a good person, even though they try to play it off that way. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I guess to, like, compare it to the other two movies uh, that meet the Robinsons and Lilo and Stitch, um, I really like the the cast of Emperor's New Groove. Like Nate said, um, yeah, it didn't make in my didn't make it in my top two, uh, just because I, I, I don't know. I guess like I, the second act gets a little wobbly for me. I, I really like the first act and um, the third act's a little. Uh, I think like towards like the not the start of the second act, but like I don't know. The movie kind of falls down for me a little bit. Not quality wise, just I don't know. It didn't keep my like interest like all the way like the other two movies had uh, that are higher on this list. But it, it is still like a good, a very good movie. I mean, it made it all the way this high. Um, I feel like if any of the movies out of these eleven that would have belonged just fine coming out after uh, Mulan and continuing the Renaissance, it would have been The Emperor's New Groove. Like this doesn't feel too out of uh, out of park with those films, except for it's more like I don't know what to call it, like almost like modern sense of humor or like it's a little bit more like meta and contemporary in the same way that like elements of Hercules are. But I think it has a lot more fun with its characters and its setup where it kind of falls short to me is, again, just kind of like that runtime. This is barely over an hour. It's like Disney had already been making like pretty large scale films at this point, And then they do a smaller scale story 
and they don't even stretch it out to give like I, I don't know i feel like 76 minutes is not a long enough time for these characters to all like develop and go through arcs and maybe that's just because like they wanted david spade as an asshole and maybe if the original story was that he doesn't change and is still an asshole that might have worked better like fuck sting i was about to say that could have been really funny yeah <laughs> to me i think that the change made made the movie feel a little bit more formulaic than I think that they were originally going for. Because like Nate was saying, like it feels like it's not too too far out of line from like the rest of the Renaissance. But then again, like it's also doing this doing this unique thing with its humor. Personally, I think that this is the funniest animated movie that Disney has ever put out. And I think that between all of these movies that we've all been watching as kids, it's the easiest to track what our generation's sense of humor is like between any of the media that we've been consuming the characters okay i suppose that that's a valid criticism but to me it was never really what the movie was about that's fair so i don't know Kronk carries this movie in terms of like the humor he's so fucking good yeah they gave him his own movie <laughs> they did and he becomes a chef hey peter i'm gonna do some baking hey peter i can uh, sk speak to squirrels now Squeak, squeaker, squeak, squeaking. And then they did the spinoff show where he goes to school, I guess. The Emperor's New School. I didn't mind that, but it wasn't great. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I didn't watch a frame of it. <laughs> I caught it at like 3 a.m. sometimes when I couldn't sleep. I like the old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, too, like, in this, uh, let's write a hit piece on Sting, because I think that he only makes this movie worse, because Tom Jones absolutely kills it in the beginning of this movie. Yes, yes, I was just thinking that, where you think? Like, it was like, bro, why the hell did we hire Sting? Tom Jones is right here. <laughs> and he sings all the songs that are in the movie. Sting only sings that song that's in the end credits. Why did Sting have such a... Uh a leeway on this movie <laughs> i guess he said it to an executive and an executive was like shit maybe we should stick to a formula on this one or else moms will be like wait wait a second Cusco's not a good role model hear me out i think this movie would be stronger if Cusco never turned into a llama if he just stayed like a dude and then had to go on the same journey because like i feel like a lot of the the humor just comes from the fact that he's displaced but that that's not where the character lands like that's not where the humor lands people are laughing at him because he's like an idiot that was in charge and lost his power so why turn him into a llama besides the fact that it's a kids movie and people turning into animals is something you do in kids movies the only other reason i can think of is so that he's unrecognizable to the people that would know him mm -hmm. unrecognizable and can't perform easy tasks because he doesn't have hands i would say that too but the only time that i think that they really like make good use of him being a llama is in the scene where he realizes that he's a llama which is hilarious yeah like otherwise like they have the whole thing where like he extends his neck to help pacha walk up the cliff which is like okay but you know did anyone else want to drink the drink the potions as a kid no uh, yes take it crunk oh feel the power it's so weird that they went with like eartha kicks like i can't I can't think of any other time she did voice acting, like, ever. And she's perfect in this role. Yeah, uh, it was said almost perfect casting earlier. I would argue that this is perfect casting. I don't think that there's a single character that plays a major role that anybody could have done it better. Like, these are, they're all so iconic. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that I think why you see in, like, the sequel movie and the, like, series, it doesn't land the same way because 
you don't have the performances to back it up. Listen, guys, I think Meet the Robinsons is great too, but I love this movie. <laughs> I love this movie too. I just think that Meet the Robinsons needs more recognition because it's incredible. The themes and narratives of Meet the Robinsons, uh, I think, go are way better than Emperor's New Groove. Like, no, but Emperor's New Groove is way funnier. It is way funnier, but that's not what Meet the Robinsons is trying to do. Yeah, and we're talking on the scope of like disney movies and like the biggest thing when it comes to disney movies is their themes and narratives like and like i don't know the emperor's new groove like we're judging these by film not just because it's humor and like emperor's new groove is just a little more of a flawed movie i think compared to meet the robinsons when it comes to its narrative no uh what i was gonna say is i think meet the robinsons uh in places is extremely strong but otherwise i think in other places it almost falls to that middle tier like i wouldn't argue that it belongs there in any capacity i think the script for this movie is very good and i think in the places that it needs to be it is and that's why it's as beloved as it is even still today but i would argue that emperor's new groove is as solid as what it's trying to do all the way through i don't know why we acting like meet the robinsons isn't funny though that scene with the frogs where they put the where they put where they put the robot in the trunk (laughs) 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 the best jersey boys movie (laughs) which of the robinsons was peeing in the sink it's definitely uh the old guy that with no teeth (laughs) oh yeah it's very strong because of its overall narrative i think that it's like um its characters and its uh setting are very like on brand with disney in a lot of ways that i feel like um kind of like i feel the spirit of walt disney through that story a lot because it's about this like disenfranchised orphan who is wondering you know about his origins but more importantly is focused on the future and that theme of keep moving forward and like the whole vibe of this movie gives me tomorrowland energy in like the best way possible oh shit i never looked at it that way that's how i've always viewed this movie is it the the uh, frozen head of walt disney and put it in the writer's room for like a half hour and we got some really great ideas, but we didn't get a full story. And then like the modern Disney team kind of came and sewed it together. And I do agree. There are some some like parts where it doesn't feel f- like fully fleshed out. There are some things that are introduced that don't work well. But I love the whole goob boiler hat man like arc like that shit had me crying in theaters the first time I saw it. And then I went and saw this. Mo- I saw this movie this seven times in theaters. I asked my mom last night because I was talking to Josh about this. We used to see um, like the like the year that this came out, Enchanted also came out and my sister worked at a movie theater and we just like, essentially get in whenever. And this movie was there all summer and I watched it like four or five times like by myself and then with the family twice and it was like it's just it's a good story it's like a hidden gem for me like i feel like a lot of people don't think of this movie very often i think it's a really good time travel movie like period that's also true like it's a that's a tough fucking genre and i really think they handled it really well Mm -hmm. it's especially hard uh to find examples of them traveling into the future being done that well because normally it's like them going back yeah and i like that they didn't give it like a really like a time frame i feel like uh you could easily show this to a kid now and tell him like uh he's in like this year and that's the future like it doesn't really have like it's not like back to the future or blade runner where they give you like a specific time and it's also the technology shown isn't easily dated most of it yeah it's um it's like that tomorrowland vibe where it's like the 
fantastic utopian version of the future that's always going to be relevant because that's always where we want to be and where we never really will get <laughs> which is what the tomorrowland park should be themed with i don't know why uh that keeps changing they should just make it meet the robinsons park that was disney's original vision was he wanted that park to represent like like he essentially wanted epcot to actually be like uh idyllic uh utopian future city set in the 60s and he didn't like live through to see that vision come to life but i think like his idealistic version of what the future was going to be uh comes to fruition here in, in meet the robinsons and i think like it's overall messaging is very strong to kids where it doesn't really matter what origin you come from or what your background is you can still make a big impact on the world and i think that that's a really really strong message for kids it's empowering in a lot of ways and i i think that the uh the humor in this movie is is good enough to keep it entertaining for kids but also tell them something about themselves i really like the pizza delivery guy in the future one of my favorite bits is where he's at the future and he's like he's meeting the whole family obviously and he's like uh so what does like your guys's dad look like and they're like well he, he looks like tom Selleck. <laughs> 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 and then they just cut to a, a picture of tom Selleck, and it's like wait but then that's who's voicing the older version of him it, it's like a good bit it's it's really funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah the yeah this has some of the best like uh movie twist i guess in like a uh animated disney movie too yeah this movie's got a really solid like structure it's way better than the one in frozen that everybody won't shut up about so uh i'm sorry i walked away when we were uh discussing uh emperor's new groove are we kind of between those two for number three then sounds like it mm, sort of it sounds like i'm the only one that wants to see emperor's new groove on two yeah yeah no i have meet the robinsons higher than emperor's new groove are we gonna praise lilo and stitch or is somebody gonna <laughs> make a case for meet the robinsons i'm gonna praise lilo and stitch listen fuck y'all lilo and stitch needs to be number one all of my favorite picks have been cucked this entire fucking list <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> Josh, did you have Lilo and Stitch at number one as well? I, I did. I did. I just couldn't. I couldn't make a case for it. <laughs> All the praise I was singing to meet the Robinsons. I, I don't think it's a movie that lands for everyone. I think that there's just whether it was the release time. I don't know if it just missed generations in a way. I, I feel like Lilo and Stitch is like the perfect time capture and kind of what like Jory was saying with like how Emperor's New Groove speaks to like our generation's like sense of humor. I think uh, Lilo and Stitch speaks volumes to our generation's like moral compass in a way, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like the found family dynamics in this in this movie are handled extremely well. And like she's got an older sister that's looking out after her. And it's not traditional to see that in a uh, in a Disney movie. There's no parent that dies off. It's just like, you know, that's all maybe, you know, implied uh, but it, it's it's very unique and i think it does like the whole et thing better than any other movie like trying to rip off et and i feel like it, it transcends that the world building for lilo and stitch is awesome you know what's part of the reason that this movie is so high for me also because like uh i think meet the robinsons is also extremely strong thematically but uh for me can we talk about how good the soundtrack in this movie is? Yeah. It's incredible. Because both the original score and the all the Elvis music that they put in this movie, like, it's on another level. This, mo this movie got to number one for me, not, like, the only point, but one of the points that towards it. It's, like, the only one that actually had a really good spinoff show, too. Like, the world building this movie creates is really good. The games, the show, the sequels, most of the sequels, they were all great. They had a good continuation. It got a, a sequel, it got a 
TV series. It had like a few sequels, right? Like four or five. I think there's four. The show was good. The show was genuinely good. It, it took like the same template as like Pokemon, where it's like we're going to introduce a new genetic modified alien, um, you know, every episode. But then like they also like found a purpose for it to function in society on this Hawaiian island. And I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, we need to capture them and destroy them or capture them and train them. It was like we need to have dog fights. <laughs> we can we can like reestablish uh them and, and rehabilitate them into crucial members of society. It's it says a lot about like what prison reform should be in our country. And I think that's <laughs> very bold. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say like Stitch has just become a prominent like figure in like Disney on its own. Like I feel like Stitch is just up there. Yeah, if yeah. we want to talk about marketable characters. I I mean, I don't think that there is a character as marketable that has come out of this era of Disney, and it's not close. The mascot, I guess, of our generation of Disney that we grew up with, like, it's Stitch. Oh, yeah. It's probably, like, actually, like, a Pixar character, but, I mean, Stitch is very much a close second. <laughs> yeah, it would be, like, Woody and Buzz or something. Uh, Woody and Buzz was, I mean, technically before us. Yeah, but they carried through. Mike Wazowski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 solely cores Mike Wazowski. <laughs> we were really lucky growing up with like the prime era of Pixar at the very least, because every character that was in their like initial lineup was super solid. Except for maybe Flick, but Yeah. Maybe not Flick. The ensemble of Bugs Life is great though. I like that uh deleted scene in cars where uh the truck is watching uh, the car versions of old Pixar movies, and every time that actor is on screen the same as him, he's like, that guy's great! <laughs> I really like how we, in uh, Lilo and Stitch, we get the odd couple pairing of Jumba and Pleakley, and it's not tired in the same way as, like, Timon and Pumbaa. Like, like I'm not saying t Timon and Pumbaa are tired, but I feel like a lot of the, like, side characters that Disney tried to make after, like the Gargoyles and Hunchback of Notre Dame and things like that, um, these characters, Jumba and Pleakley, feel... Um, very much in that same kind of boat, but wholly unique and a lot funnier. I think it's partially because uh, being the odd couple, like they actually hate each other. Like, whereas in the rest of those groups, like, sure, there's some in bickering going on, but like they're friends at the end of the day. But Chumba and Pleakley, like in the first scene when they meet each other, Pleakley is like, you're, you're sending me to Earth with this fucking criminal. Um, I also like Ving Rhames voicing the like CIA operative or whatever, who's like seen as like a low level antagonist. Uh, he's great. Cobra Bubbles. Yeah, Bubbles. Have you ever killed anyone? We're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> is that the best Ving Rhames performance? I don't know. I feel like Ving Rhames is slept on. I don't know. It's probably Marcellus Wallace throwing some disrespect on a, on a true king. Some of the uh, fights between the two sisters also seem very genuine, too. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really genuine, like, sibling relationship, especially in the case, in the especially unique case of uh, Nina and Lilo. Nina is now, uh, or Nani, rather. Shit, sorry. Nani. Mayawamo Shindu. Nani is now, instead of just being her sister, her caretaker which puts a whole other layer on top of this, and you can really feel her struggle upon a rewatch of this movie. I don't know how recently you guys watched it, but that always flew over my head as a kid. But then rewatching it as like a little bit older, I've been like, oh my God, wow, this is fantastic. Like, I really don't think that there's anything that comes close 
in this thing. I also like like the moral spectrum of all the characters. Like even the villains aren't bad guys. They they simply are going after the same kind of motive of capturing this escaped creature and it's not like I don't know, an ET for example and I like I like to compare these movies cuz like on paper they're very similar but I mean obviously this one's animated so it can do a lot more. Like the the government agents in ET are just portrayed as like antagonists and they're trying to stop et for some reason but in this it's like there's like a reason they're like oh it's an escaped fugitive you know it's an escaped experiment we need to get him back and then at the end of the movie they realize like how comfortable he is in this Are you okay alden no i think your ai is like glitching out i'm having internet issues uh-oh <laughs> I lost my train of thought, I think, but I, I just like the moral like compass of this whole cast. Like, I think there's a lot more to be said for. Yeah, going along with that, I think it's really interesting. I thought of this now while we were talking, but every uh, main and secondary character in this movie, their motivation is to do their job correctly. Like every single one, all of the antagonists to like even Lilo and Stitch. Like Stitch is trying to fight what is essentially his programming so that he can fit in and be a part of this family. It's a parallel that goes with Lilo too, because she's also like kind of seen as like this weird destructive girl that needs to behave herself so that uh, their family doesn't fall apart and she gets taken away by social workers who are also trying to do their job. Nani, who is literally just trying to find a job so that she can provide for herself and her sister and keep her. Pleakley and Jumba, who are trying to recapture Stitch, along with the uh, space cops, like that shark head dude and like the weird blue lady. Yeah, Gontu. He's literally just trying to retrieve a bounty. I think he's a bounty hunter. I think he's trying to beat the space agency to... No, he was he was assigned to the case. I think he gets sent after because like they're like Pleakley and Jumba aren't doing their jobs. Facts. I think the Slender Man found Alden. You got to put that in the edit. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it did sound like that. Alden, which page did you just pick up? Four. Uh Oh, he's going to go aggro. But anyway, uh, yeah, Lilo and Stitch. Best uh, post-Renaissance era movie. I guess, I don't know if there really could have been debate for any. Like like we said, like I think it, this movie really just was the face of Disney animation uh, for a while. And uh, sadly, it was kind of an end of an era. Because like now when we think of Disney animation, I guess Frozen is brought up because it was very successful. But outside of like 2014 and 2015, we saw with Frozen 2, I don't think it's like going to age very well and like pixar has really taken over disney animation has been riding a very different wave since then because like the last movie that like really feels like a disney movie was like the first frozen but since then they've been doing like you know big hero six and um Wreck-It Ralph, like movies that feel like B Pixar movies rather than Disney movies. There's also Tangled in Moana. Like, I feel like they still are doing interesting things. Moana is an outlier, true. But Tangled was also before that. Post, post-Renaissance, the start of the revival. I think one day we'll get another great 2D Disney movie again when this, I think, like, nostalgia is just going to, like, come back at some point and, uh... It's going to, I don't know, I feel like it will come back at some point because people I think are just going to want that, that old time like Disney that we grew up is going to be nostalgic probably within the next 10 years. And I think we could see it 
come back. I hope you're right, but it's just too expensive for them to validate. The brand value of the iconic Disney lineup being like completely thrown out the window. I mean, like Mickey, Goofy, Donald, all these characters are like second tier at best. They have like these really wacky animated shorts on Disney Channel, now Disney Plus, but there's nothing like main series wise for them. Like those characters are like losing their value at an exponential rate which is so odd because copyright law has like been changed thousands of times to keep those characters under Disney's like um, umbrella of original ideas. Uh, I mean, currently they have uh, shows for pretty much all of their main series guys right now, but yeah, but like I'm saying, they're like off kilter. Like they're not that same brand of humor that they were established on and they're not mass appeal. Like no one talks about those. I hear a lot of people talking about DuckTales, at least. I wish they would put House of Mouse on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Like, I've been waiting for that. The entire streaming platform is based on your legacy content. Where is it? Like, what about House of Mouse? What What about the Three Musketeers with uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy as the Musketeers? Three Mouseketeers, excuse me. I wish it was called that. It's not. Wait, really? The Mouseketeers was something else. God damn it. <laughs> What was with their names? God. Going back to like Atlantis, like in a more positive note, because I feel like we did bash it on this list a little bit. There's been a lot of like people who want this to be a remake of some sort. Jory, would you want to see like a continuation or a remake of something with this property? I mean, I would be interested. Like, um, I was never too big into like the second movie or the show. I thought that they were like just fine. I didn't like them as much as the original, but um, I know that uh, you saw it, especially when the Lion King remake was announced. Like people were like, why do they keep remaking the ones that everybody already loves? Why don't we go back to these movies that aren't as solid as they could be, but still have really good like characters and ideas and like worlds like Treasure Planet and uh, and Atlantis that I think are right for remakes. Atlantis, especially considering they keep trying to find something that's in a new Indiana Jones niche for people like talking about bringing back Harrison Ford at like 70 something to do Indiana Jones, having Tom Holland star in a movie that's based on Uncharted that he's not very confident about, or even doing Treasure Planet. I know they've got the Mandalorian that's currently filling that sci-fi action adventure thing that they're doing, but I feel like that world is really right for exploration yeah for real i feel like an atlantis live action remake would make so much more sense than any of like the iconic kind of disney lineup movies especially since they're looking for this like action adventure like they're like it's just a void right now and there's there's potential there and i think like all the characters are dynamic enough where you could get celebrities or well-known actors in those roles and they could play them well too it's like also you want to talk about a diverse cast atlantis the lost empire what are you talking about their entire crew is multicultural facts it's more diverse than the nazi zombies campaign <laughs> it's more diverse than the eternals <laughs> the next 2001 a space odyssey fantasia 2020 fantasia 2049 Fantasia uh, 2222. Damn, remember when everything had 2000 after it? Blues Brothers, Fantasia. Um, I feel like there was a lot of products like that were sold at the time. Maybe not a lot of movie products. Everything had like a thousand after it because it was like late 90s, early 2000s. Everything was extreme. Yeah, it was the millennium. 
an extremely goofy movie. All right. Well, which of these movies would we not want to see a remake of? Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> I agree. If we give it more time, I might be okay with a Lilo and Stitch. Honestly, anything in the top three, I'm like, please don't touch this. But anything else, like whatever, fair game. I wish Meet the Robinsons was more culturally revelant, revelant but I'm kind of glad. <laughs> it, uh, but I'm kind of glad it doesn't have like a sequel or a remake or anything yeah personally i think a brother bear live action remake or at least in the same like feel of jungle book would be abysmal i'm surprised that that hasn't just shadow dropped on disney plus to nobody's knowledge yet yeah like the lady in the tramp did yeah <laughs> or like no one talks about it but pete's dragon that remake is directed by the man who did a ghost story wait what, what, what? The fuck? <laughs> yeah look it up i'm not kidding have you did you guys see that <laughs> because I... it's got bryce dallas howard in it guys i saw it in theaters <laughs> is it good i saw the original oh my god it's fine it's one of the better of those remakes damn i kind of got it adds more to it it's got carl urban in it it's cool holy shit or did it come out Unless we, unless we want to count like Maleficent, but eh. uh, it wasn't the first one. It came out after Jungle Book and after Cinderella. Oh yeah, I forget about that constantly. I always have a a really bad debate with uh, my sister whenever Maleficent was brought up because we both watched it at the same time and she really liked it and I hated it. I still I like haven't seen one. it. Yeah, I like the first one. I don't like the first. I don't like the first one at all. I like the first one because I saw it before I saw Frozen. <laughs> and I saw Frozen and I was like, wait a second. I I've seen this before. <laughs> I don't know. I really like the blend of practical and special effects, especially for like Angelina Jolie's character, Maleficent. Like I, I feel like the elevated cheekbones and the horns and stuff. It's done by Academy Award winning makeup artist Rick Baker, who did Coming to America and American Werewolf in London. Like there was still an appreciation for the practical effects, while a lot of it is CGI Alice in Wonderland looking bullshit. The the actual like character design and makeup is really solid. It's a more unique take on Sleeping Beauty than doing the story like from scratch like telling it from the villain's perspective i guess they're going to try to do that with cruella but that looks terrible <laughs> yeah they shouldn't have done a um female joker movie female joker rapunzel with uh sleeping beauty called it slumped <laughs> <laughs> sleepy joe yeah i mean it makes sense to do that too because like when you think of sleeping beauty the original disney movie there's not too many organic or like unique characters besides the villain who turns into a dragon and is like this magical witch it's like everything else about it kind of is like bland it's like the most bland prince the most bland princess it's like i guess they're using that same train of thought for this like cruella de vil movie though because i feel like you that about 101 dalmatians also they already did that with glenn close in the like early 2000s yeah, they did. <laughs> twice oh yeah yeah this isn't gonna be it really sucks because it'd be awesome if there's after credit scene in cruella or she turns into glenn close <laughs> i'm going on like disney adult mode here like that wouldn't be cool i think it'd be hilarious though what if it'd be like an r-rated <laughs> cruella Deville origin movie puppy yeah 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 there's like skin dalmatian puppies it really sucks cgi of course of course the a24 101 dalmatian oh slender man's back uh oh 
All right, can we get let's let's have uh let's have Alden say his list before Slenderman gets him. Am I hold on? I'm gonna change my noise gate a little bit before I do this. Okay, well then I'll go first, so I don't have to read two in a row. My list of the Disney Post Renaissance ranked is Home on the Range eleven, Bolt ten, Dinosaur nine, Fantasia two thousand eight, Atlantis: The Lost Empire seven, six Brother Bear five Treasure Planet four Chicken Little. Three, The Emperor's New Groove. Two, Meet the Robinsons. And one, Lilo and Stitch. Oh my god. When it comes to the tiebreaker, I think we tied Nate. Nice. My number 11 is Bolt. Number 10, Home on the Range. Number 9, Dinosaur. Number 8, Fantasia 2000. Number 7, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Number 6, Treasure Planet. Number 5, Brother Bear. Number 4, Chicken Little. Number three, Emperor's New Groove. Number two, Meet the Robinsons. And number one, Lilo and Stitch. I feel like I'm getting peer pressured. Are we just like, have we become monoculture? Have we done too many episodes in a row where like our lists are now just echo chambers? Like, I don't understand how me, Josh, and Alden practically have the same list. I know Alden is currently changing his, so he sounds different, which I respect. <laughs> um, I wish I was changing mine, but here it goes. <laughs> number 11, Bolt. Number 10, Dinosaur. Number 9, Home on the Range. Number 8, Fantasia 2000. Number 7, Chicken Little. Number 6, Brother Bear. Number 5, Meet the Robinsons. Number 4, Atlantis the Lost Empire. Number 3, Treasure Planet. Number 2, The Emperor's New Groove. And number 1, Lilo and Stitch. Damn. <laughs> I want to kill myself. <laughs> I mean, no, you had a good list. I feel like there's just like ones that you were slightly more fond of as a child than I was. I mean, I, I think Chicken Little at four is pretty, pretty high. Like, I don't think most people would feel that same sentiment, especially if they didn't grow up with these movies. It was a cup of indigestion. Is that what he says? <laughs> a cup of good intentions. Yes, a cup of <laughs> indigestion. <laughs> it was a cup of good intentions. A tablespoon of one big mess. Speaking of which, Alden, what's your list? He's uh, muted and deafened. <laughs> okay. He has AirPods in. Uh, 11 is Bolt. 10 is Home on the Range. 9 is Dinosaur. 8 is Fantasia 2000. 7 is Atlantis. 6 is Treasure Planet. 5 is Brother Bear. 4 is Chicken Little. 3 is Emperor's New Groove. 2 is Meet the Robinsons. 1 is Lilo and It's a three-way tie. <laughs> Alden and I had the exact same list. Epic. All right. Our uh, top 11, because we like to go one step further, Disney post-Renaissance ranked list <laughs> is number 11, Bolt. Number 10, Home on the Range. Number 9, Dinosaur. Number 8, Fantasia 2000. Number 7, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Number 6, Brother Bear. Number 5, Treasure Planet. Number 4, Chicken Little. Number 3, The Emperor's New Groove. Number two, Meet the Robinsons. And number one, Lilo and Stitch. Thank you everyone for joining us on today's episode of Duel of the Takes. What are your top 11 favorite Disney post-Renaissance movies? Would your list differ a lot? Or are you in the same monoculture echo chamber as three of our four panelists and the other one got completely destroyed? Let <laughs> <laughs> me free! <laughs> Are you guys on the boat that Treasure Planet and Atlantis need live action remakes and or television series? Or do you think Bolt should be getting the remake treatment? 
let us know in the comments section below. <laughs> and that is if you're watching the YouTube. If you're on the podcast, guess what? Spotify doesn't want comment sections. I don't know why they don't. I feel like they should for podcasts. It would create a healthy culture and not a bunch of blatant racism. Hey, if you're on the podcast, uh, get on our YouTube. You can find our community Discord there, and you can engage and debate with us and tell us that we are stupid for not putting Bolt at number one. Yeah, we've got a lot of really great stuff that we're offering for free right now before it goes behind a Patreon paywall once we sell out. <laughs> Josh Gad, the last great actor. More of topics like these in our Discord. Oh, yeah. We've got a couple of great weeks of content prepared and coming out soon. <laughs> Between the Kids' Choice Awards and Josh Gad, this is going to be a wild month. What a meme month. Honestly, I think we're finding our stride. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of Duel of the Takes. Next week will be a bracket-style debate, and we will be determining the best Kids' Choice Awards favorite movie winner. Special thanks to Anchor.fm for sponsoring today's episode. And remember, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.